You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Open your Bible to 1 Samuel chapter 1. 1 Samuel chapter 1. So obviously, the, the topic of the home as your pastor has already laid out, there, there are many different things that we could talk about. And, and because, of, because of the season of my life and then just some different things the Lord has allowed me to have experience in and with some, some different opportunities to invest in people with, I, I have a, a strong passion for this particular subject. And that is, that is seeing gen the faith of Jesus Christ successfully passed on from one generation to the next. And, and I don't, I, I think that about my children. Look, I'm not, I'm not concerned with my children's specific occupation in life. You know, I'm a, I'm a third generation pastor. My dad's father was a pastor. My dad was, is getting ready. Today is his last Sunday. He's been in ministry for 43 years, and he's stepping down next Sunday, transitioning to my brother. Um, I've, I've been around ministry my entire life. I'm not concerned that my sons or my daughters go into a, a ministry position. I, I am concerned that they love Jesus Christ. And whatever their occupation is, that they love the Lord, and that they're invested in a local Bible preaching church like this. That's what I'm concerned about. Because that is what is going to see the faith of Jesus successfully pass from one generation to another generation to another generation. And so I'm passionate about that. Yesterday, I had the privilege, it was, and it was a privilege to speak at the Spring Youth Rally at Eastside Baptist Church. Uh, Brother Samuel and Ms. Brielle did a great job. The workers that were here did a great job uh, laboring in that. It was just, it was a great team effort uh, to get to observe and then for a little bit to get to be a part of. And uh, I spoke on out of 1 Samuel chapter 3 and the idea that I tried to communicate to the young people was this, that you need to position your life for the purpose of God. And if you get into 1 Samuel chapter 3, you'll read, you'll find out that Samuel when he was there in chapter 3, didn't know everything about the way that God would work and, and even didn't understand all of the purpose that God had for his life. And yet there were specific things that he could do even without understanding everything about God and without yet knowing all of God's purpose for his life. There were specific things that he could do to position his life for the purpose of God, even without knowing what it was yet. That's a great thought, young people. It's not a great thought because I said it. It doesn't matter who says it. It's in the Bible. It's a great thought. Young people, look at me. You, you may not know all of God's purpose for your life yet, and that's okay. You're not going to. But you can be positioning your life right now so that whenever he's ready to reveal that purpose, you're ready for it. And he can use your life to be an influence, not just in your home, but use your life to be an influence for a church and for a community and for a nation, even for a world to help them, to help the faith of Jesus Christ be passed from one generation to another. But this morning, I'm not going to address the teens or the children. This morning, I want to address those who would have influence in the lives of teens. Now, maybe you're right in the in the throes of parenting. Isn't it awesome to be a parent? Isn't it awesome to be a parent? Yeah. Isn't it also miserable sometimes? <laughs> no, you know what? Listen, stop pretending to be super spiritual. Jesus got frustrated with the disciples. You're not in trouble because your kids drive you crazy. You just need to remember they're like that because of who their parents are. <laughs> it's, it's awesome to be a parent. You say, well, I'm, 
I'm, I'm, not, I'm not in that category. My parents have already grown. But you might have some grandchildren coming onto the scene. Maybe, maybe you don't have children of your own, but you have influence in the life of this church. Which, by the way, mm, I'm not even to the preaching yet. One of the great things about being involved in the life of a New Testament church is that adults with something to invest in kids can be a help to children that may not even be theirs. And children who might not be getting everything that they need to get at home can come to a place like this and have truth invested in them. I don't know if you're aware of this. There was a young person that got saved yesterday. No, that's a blessing. This is, forgive the lack of a better word, this is a really cool thing that God has going on called the life of a local church. The life of a Bible-preaching church where believers can assemble. And so if you're like, well, if he's talking about parenting this morning, I'm just going to check out because this really doesn't apply to me. You are going to miss out because God wants to use your life. And, And the principles that are true for parents are generally true for influencing the next generation to take up the mantle of the faith of Jesus Christ and to carry it on. But as we, as I mentioned this morning, God intends for the home and the church to be working together. They're not to be competing. You say, which one is more important? They're both important. You cannot make the case from scripture that one is more important than the other. God created both institutions and they are to be working together. To be working together to pass the faith on. In 1 Samuel chapter 1, if you'd please stand with me to honor God's word as we read it. We're going to read chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3. Or maybe just a few verses from each chapter. Depends on how responsive you are. I need to mention this. Brother Eric over here in the bright orange shirt, he made my heart happy today. Because he remembered that one of the last times I was here, uh, your pastor and I... We had matching outfits. And this morning at men's prayer meeting, he said, hey, Brother Pyle, I like your outfit. And for some dudes, that would make you uncomfortable. But hey, if I look good, I look good. Don't care. (laughs) Thank you, Brother Eric. I appreciate your sensitivity to my fashion decisions. Made my heart happy this morning. And the next time, not that I'm ever going to be asked to preach here again after this, but if there, is, if there is an opportunity, I'll be sure to coordinate, not with your pastor, but with your pastor's wife, about how we can match. Because she'll make sure he dresses the way that he needs to. Okay, enough of that. I'm sorry. Let me get to it. First Samuel chapter 1. Look at verse number 9. Hannah and Elkanah. Hannah was married to Elkanah. Hannah did not have any children, greatly desired to have a son. So Hannah rose up after they had eaten in Shiloh and after they had drunk. Now Eli the priest sat upon a seat by a post of the temple of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid and remember me, And not forget thine handmaid, but wilt give unto thine handmaid a man-child. Then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life. And there shall no razor come upon his head. She's talking about the vow of a a Nazarite, that part of it. The, The point of this this morning is not to make vows. I'll just say this. If you do make a vow before God, you need to... Seriously consider the ramifications of it. And if you promise God something, you need to be willing to keep it. At least try to. So she makes this promise. Look at verse number 17. Eli sees her and they have an interaction. And Eli, being spiritually shallow as he was, initially misunderstood what was happening. But then he understands, and he says in verse 17, Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant thee thy petition that thou hast asked of him. 
And she said, let thine handmaid find grace in thy sight. So the woman went her way and did eat, and her countenance was no more sad. And so in verse number 19, they go home, and she conceives and bears a son. And in verse 20, calls his name Samuel, saying, because I have asked him of the Lord. And Samuel means God hears our prayer as part of the definition and then she tells, okay, and I'm not going to go up to the sacrifice anymore until he's weaned. In verse number 24, and when she had weaned him, she took him up with her and three, with three bullocks and one ephah of flour and a bottle of wine and brought him unto the house of the Lord in Shiloh. And the child was young and they slew a bullock and brought the child to Eli. And she said, O my Lord, as thy soul liveth, my Lord, I am the woman that stood by thee here Praying unto the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord hath given me my petition, which I asked of him. Therefore also I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he liveth, he shall be lent to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. And then they left him there. Look at verse number 11 of chapter 2. And Elkanah went to Ramah to his house. And the child did minister unto the Lord before Eli the priest. Look down at verse number 18. But Samuel ministered before the Lord, being a child girded with a linen ephod. Moreover, his mother made him a little coat and brought it to him from year to year when she came up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. Look at chapter number 3, verse number 19. Excuse me, start in verse number one. And the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli. Now look at verse 19. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and did let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan even to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established to be a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again in Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the word of the Lord. I'd like to talk to you about this thought. Before he was a prophet, Samuel had a parent. Before God used him as a prophet, God prepared him by his parents. Father, thankful that we get to be here today and and the subject of family and, and the foundational principles and all of that are, Lord, they're, they're very specific. And yet there's so many different things that we could talk about today. And, and God, I understand that this is very targeted. This day, just my approach to it is, is very targeted. And I've, I've asked for your help in, in trying to seek you and understand what to talk about. And, and I pray for your help in communicating this, Lord. I understand these are not the only issues facing families today, but they do matter. And I pray that you would help and you would help this to be effective in, Lord, in, the, in specific homes and the issues that are being dealt with in specific homes. But Lord, would you use it in the greater picture of helping the faith of Christ to be passed on successfully from one generation to, an, to, an, to another. Thank you for your people that are here, Lord. I'm, I'm so thankful that Andrea and our children and I can be with them today. And I pray that you'd bless the time in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you so much for standing. His father had much difficulty and was an uneducated man. But in spite of what he lacked, he still worked hard. And even though there were flaws and tensions between he and his son, he, and, he did instill a deep work ethic that would prove itself very valuable later on in his son's life. His birth mother died when he was nine. Although he was very young when his birth mother passed away, she instilled in him the importance of honesty and virtue, very foundational morality that would affect him. His father quickly remarried and his stepmother soon moved in. And it did not take long for his stepmother's effect upon his life to become very visible. And although 
at the time she was uneducated, she saw the potential in her stepson and, in, and encouraged his, and quenched, both encouraged and quenched his thirst for knowledge by continually providing him access to books to read, even defending at a time when study and education were considered to be luxuries for the elite and something that shouldn't be trifled with for a working man. She defended his right to pursue his intellectual development. He would later refer to his stepmom as one of his dearest friends and would talk about her influence and how significant was on his way to becoming one of our nation's most influential leaders, President Abraham Lincoln. You see, before President Lincoln was leading our nation through one of its darkest times in the Civil War, he was a farm boy that had parents, specifically a stepmom, that saw the potential for what he could become. Before there was a president on the backside of Illinois and Kentucky, Indiana, there were parents who prepared their children, who positioned their children. Look, I don't, I don't think that whether you're talking about Nancy, his first mom, whether you're talking about Thomas, his father, whether um, you're talking about Sarah, his stepmom, I don't, I don't think that they, they had any inkling in those early days that he was going to be the leader of our nation. But they did buy into this, especially Nancy and Sarah. They bought into this, our son has purpose. There is purpose for this child's life. Man, this was a major part of the message yesterday. And, and I spent a lot of time on this point, trying to convince our young people of this. Wait, let me, let me rephrase that. Trying to convince your young people of this. I mean, you ought to take ownership, not just of the children in your home, but you ought to take personal ownership and have a vested interest in the children that God blesses this church with. You, that you ought to take the, their development personally. And I tried to convey this to your young people that God has a purpose for your life. You weren't meant to simply live here and breathe air and, and just chase whatever desire for gratification that you happen to feel in the moment. God has an eternal purpose for your existence. I mean, I want young people to buy into that, but can I be honest with you? It's awfully hard to get young people to buy into something when it's obvious in the way that their homes are that moms and dads and families and friends and relatives, when it's obvious you don't buy into it. No, look, it's one thing to say amen to this and to say, no, I buy in. But there are specific things that Abraham's Lincoln's parents did that contributed to positioning him to become the 16th president of the United States. No, they, they were very difficult. They were very hard times. It wasn't easy. There was nothing romantic or desirable about it. It was a very difficult process, obviously a process that was filled with heartache and difficulty through the loss of his first mother, Nancy, and then Thomas getting remarried to Sarah and, and how all of that transition would have gone. But please understand this, especially from his father's work ethic and Sarah's understanding of the importance of his intellectual development. They understood that this child's life has purpose. Please understand that man, your child's life has purpose before God. Well, let's just be honest for a moment. Kids are annoying. Look at me. All of you young people that under the age of 18, at some point in your life, you have annoyed the adults in your home. You're like, well, they're just weird and gross and old. That's all true, too. But you're annoying sometimes. I don't even know most of you, and I'm just getting annoyed looking at you. Because I know what you're capable of. I know how you can be. And if some of your parents are getting offended by this, please get over it. I'm just messing around a little bit, but there is truth in this. Man, I love my children. 
I do love my children. Ashlyn, Jason, Jaden, Addison, Justin, Jackson, and Jaron are with us. Alexandra is at home, and she's living that adult life now, and so she wasn't able to make the trip. Man, I love them, but I'm, I also recognize, man, you're really kind of annoying sometimes. Don't you love parents? Don't you love bedtime? When you don't have to listen to them anymore and you can just eat ice cream? And remember what it was like to actually enjoy being married? <laughs> you, don't have, you don't have kids pestering you all the time? Man, it's like, man, you're so beautiful when the kids aren't around. <laughs> I'm, well, I am whatever I am, but you understand what I'm talking No, I get that. But your child's life has purpose. No, please hear me. Your child's life has an eternal purpose. God gave you that son. God gave you that daughter. He gave them to you on purpose for a purpose. And before there was a president, there was a parent who invested in their child. And just like it was true for one of this nation's greatest leaders, it was also true for one of God's greatest prophets before Samuel was ever known to be a prophet that would be used of God. There was a mama who prepared him and positioned him. Look, I, again, I don't think Hannah knew all the ways that God was going to use him. I don't think Hannah could have possibly comprehended all of the significant eternal ways God would use Samuel. Samuel wasn't just, wasn't just preaching the word of God. Samuel was directing a nation. He was influencing kings and kingdoms. He was God's voice for generations in that nation. I don't think Hannah saw all of that. But here's what I think she did see. The God who gave him to me, gave him to me for a purpose. Amen. Man, can I, just, can I just get some parents to dream? I don't, I'm not trying to be emotional. I don't put this in my notes, man, cry here, laugh here. I, get, I, don't, want, I don't want your pastor to dream more for your children than you dream for your children. I don't want some guest preacher that you might see once every two or three years to dream more for your children than what you dream is possible. I don't want your youth pastor to dream more for what's possible in the lives of your children than you dream for your own children. I'm not saying you even know everything that is possible, but just know that we serve a great God. Yeah. Know that he takes little ones from small beginnings, and if he can bring up a great leader of a nation from the dirt in Indiana and in Illinois who, come, who came from a very uneducated background, if he can take a, a little boy who was born in an unknown place, even the priest was skeptical of, her mother, of his mother at the time, if he can raise him up to be a great prophet, then God can do that with your children. Don't underestimate. Don't underestimate what God can do in the lives of your children. You know, I, I'm afraid that so many times our children miss out on what God could do because of what we are currently doing. You see, it's respect. I, I challenged your kids, and I'm not sorry for this. I challenged your kids yesterday to take responsibility for the position that they were putting themselves in. Look, if Samuel can do right as a young child, your 12-year-old and 13-year-old and 14-year-old ought to develop some convictions about how to do right before God. But God's intent is that parents help in positioning their children. God's intent, it, now I'm thankful, man, aren't you thankful for this, that, that God can overcome the lack of godly influence in the life of a parent? Aren't you thankful for that? But, but that's not typically the norm. And, and by percentage-wise, that is the exception rather than the rule because God's design is that what is, what is done in the home position the child to produce later on in life. I'm not saying it can't be overcome when it's not right. I'm thankful that it is overcome by the grace of God. And the grace of God can reach anyone, anywhere, anytime. 
No, I'm thankful for that. But God's intent is that you be participating in the positioning process, not leaving your children to do it on their own. And so just like just like Sarah helped to position Abraham Lincoln, not knowing all the ways that he would be useful, but just like she positioned him so that he could be useful, even in greater ways than she might think was possible, God used Hannah to position Samuel so that he might be useful, even in greater ways than she might have thought possible. Look, she didn't know that he was going to be a great prophet. She just knew this, I'm going to prioritize God in his life. I'm going to prioritize God for him. Now here's, here's the resistance that we get to that. Hannah, pray. we're working at the, the idea. She doesn't, she doesn't know, like you. You may not know all of God's purpose for your children. That's not the point. The point is to position them. So that when God is ready to reveal or as he's bringing them along to that purpose, you have positioned them to be receptive to and ready to respond to God's purpose. You say, well, I don't have children there anymore or I don't have any children of my own. But there are young people in other generations that you can help with that. Listen, I'm, not, I'm thankful for this. I love this. I am thankful for the way this man invests in my children. I've watched him have serious conversations with my children. I'm thankful that I can invest in other people's children to help the purpose of God. I'm thankful for the way Miss, Mrs. Jett has invested in the lives of my sons and daughters. I don't want to be the only one helping position them for the purpose of God. You can all be involved in that process of positioning them for it. Okay, so we're talking about positioning them for it. Positioning them for the purpose of God whenever and whatever it may be. All right, so Hannah prioritized God in Samuel's life. <laughs> okay, you got to understand this. Samuel in chapter one and then in chapter two, Samuel did not choose to go live at the temple. Now look, we're not advocating you leave your kids here. <laughs> uh, no, please pick up your kids from the nursery, from all the junior churches and take them home. That's not what we're talking about. This is not a precedent that we're trying to set. <laughs> but she prioritized God in Samuel's life. Samuel did not make the decision. This is the objection that we hear today. And we've heard it for a long time. But it's not lessening, it's only increasing. This is the objection. Well, I just don't want to force God on my children. Logically and biblically, this makes no sense. Biblically, you are commanded to force God on them. No, train up a child in the way he should go. I understand there are stuffy psychologists who tell you that you're going to hurt your children, but that only ends up creating more harm when you don't force good things on the lives of your children. No, and it's illogical because you already force things on your children. If you're wise, you do. You force hygiene on your children. Praise the Lord. I am amazed at how stinky teenage boys can get. I mean, they're not even trying. It's like, did you take a bath five minutes ago? Why do you stink already, man? Just, I'm thankful for parents that emphasize hygiene. I'm thankful for moms that emphasize to daughters how to take care of themselves. I'm thankful for dads that emphasize how to work hard. I'm thankful that you prioritize and emphasize and force upon them education. Listen, if you left your children's education preferences up to them, they stay home and eat candy. You say, well, I have an exception. Maybe, but that's all those are. They are exceptions. Kids don't just all the time naturally want to go and learn and go through those processes. If you left their diet up to them, it would be ice cream and snicker bars and cheeseburgers. There would, no be, there would never be room for vegetables. There would be no room for drinking water or milk or things that can be healthy to you. It would only, it would only be Dr. Pepper and Red Bulls. And by the way, praise the Lord for some Red Bulls and some Taco Bell occasionally. But you can't live or you shouldn't live on those things. So listen, ultimately your children are going to have to choose whether or not they are faithful to Jesus Christ. That's right, 
Let me just talk about Olivia. I love Olivia, and I'm thankful for how she, just being able to know her as a young lady and then as a little girl and then just from a distance and then at times in very close proximity, watch her grow and develop. I've loved watching her faith development, but there has to be a point in Olivia's life where she's no longer following Jesus because of Jason and Aaron, but she's following Jesus for herself. No, that happens in every person's life, but it's their responsibility to position her. What she does with the position is up to her, between her and God. But they are responsible to position her to help her follow Jesus Christ. So here's the point. You force God to be a priority in their life here. Did you say force? Yes. You force God to be a priority here. And you trust God to form them when they're here. So I just want to look at three things that Hannah did to prioritize God in Samuel's life. Number one, she prioritized God's plan for him. She made this vow in chapter one. And, and you have to understand, even, even though she was committed to it, oh, please, please understand, this had to be very, very hard for her to go through with. There was deep emotion involved in this. And all of the things that you would be concerned about as a mom, she would have been concerned about as a mom. And if you, you go down to verse number 11, and Elkanah went to Ramah to his house, and Hannah is going with him, and the child did minister unto the Lord before Eli the priest. I cannot, I cannot imagine what it must have been like saying goodbye to that child. No, well, she got to see him every year. No, you don't want to see your kids once a year. You want to see your kids every day. And you want to be close to them and you want to be with them. And, and if you've ever had the experience of leaving your children as they grow older and saying goodbye to them, it can be a heart-wrenching experience. It is not something easy to go through. He, she didn't do this with Samuel when he was 18, 19, 20. She did it when he was a young boy, when he was a young child. And yet she was committed. She prioritized God's plan. Please get this. Your children will feed off of your spiritual energy or your lack thereof. Why did she go through with this? Because she understood it was God's plan. I made this vow. God gave me this son based on my, my request to him. Therefore, this is his plan. And I need to be as submitted to the plan when it's hard as I was when I was longing for a son. And Hannah is demonstrating, even though it's underlining here, Hannah is demonstrating a great personal devotion to God. She was committed. Please, please hear me. Your children feed off of your love for Jesus or your lack of love for Jesus Christ. What is your personal devotion to him? I, I, I love the song that you sang. I'm, I'm so thankful for it. I, we, I, I, I hear so many times parents complaining because of decisions children are making. Well, I made them go to church as though the few hours there is always enough to overcome your influence and lack of godly zeal Monday through Saturday. Oh, please understand, you must have a devotion to God that runs so deep that there is nothing that you will withhold from him. There is nothing that you will prior prioritize over him. She prioritized God's plan in his life for herself and for him. Number two, now I'm going to talk about church. She prioritized God's place. Okay. Okay. I need to remind me of your name. Tim. Tim, can you be Sam for just a minute? Come here. Who do you belong to? Uh, Tim. <laughs> Hi. Hi, Tim's parents. Come here. I hope this is okay. So, so Sam, he's not Tim. They, they don't have this conversation. This is Sam. So, Sam, you know, I, 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 I prayed about, you know, giving you to the Lord and you're going to have to live at the temple. Is that really something you want to do? <laughs> Say it in like a five-year-old voice. <laughs> you know, yeah, I, I get it, buddy. And, and as a five-year-old... 
as a five-year-old, you obviously know what's best for your life. And, and it would just, wouldn't it be easier just to eat cereal and watch cartoons today? So, I mean, God, God understands. God understands what it's like to be five or 15 or 18 or what God, God understands. So I'm just, I'm just gonna, you just stay home and, and, and I'll send daddy to church and then, and we'll just, we'll just relax today. She, Hannah did not give him that option. No, look, do not miss how hard it must have been. But him being at the place where God's people worshipped was not optional. Listen, no, get it, get it. No, we had fun. I want you to get this. Please get this. It's not easy saying goodbye to you. But this is God's place. And you have to be here. And you don't understand this right now. But your, your father and I, we love you. This would be Hannah talking, we love you. Elkanah, son, we love you. But you have to be at God's place. That was leaving him here. And yet you leave it up to your children sometimes as to whether or not they're gonna come to a service on Sunday once a week. You can sit down, bud, thank you. Help us. Yeah. If you want to prioritize the purpose of God in their lives, you must prioritize the place where God works. Look, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful for family-focused movements, but there is nothing more important to the de development of a family than a local New Testament church. I don't care what author, I don't care what book, I don't care how many kids they have, I don't care how many people adore them. There is no institution that is as critical to the development of your family that is outside of your home as the local New Testament church. Your kids need to be here. And they don't just need to be here when they want to. Man, Jaron is six years old. He's, he's back in the kids' class right now. This, is, this was Jaron's attitude when we got here. Because uh, we have church at home, and we do a lot of stuff like you do here. And then we leave, and he goes, are we going to church at the Jets' house? Yes, we're going even more than we normally go, too. We're going on Saturday. And then we're going to be there all day Sunday. He's like, why do we have to go to church again? Because you're a wicked sinner, and you need it. I mean, it's that simple. No, no, I mean, that's part of it. But it's, the, the bigger part is this, this is God's plan and this is good for you. It's not as though the pastor's kids always want to be at church. Let's just be real for a moment. It's not as though the pastor always wants to be at church. But we don't come here because we want to be. We come here because Jesus died for the church. Did Jesus die for individuals? Yes or no? No, come on, say that with more enthusiasm. Did Jesus die for individuals? Yes, he did. But he didn't just die for individuals. The Bible, the same Bible that says he died for individuals, says that he died for the church. That must mean that it's important to him. And you cannot possibly position one generation to live out the purpose of God as you should when you neglect the institution that he intended to be the vehicle for transferring that faith from one generation to the next. Your children need to be here all the time. What does all the time mean? Not live here. We don't mention people living up here. <laughs> That's not what we're talking about. But when something's going on at church, make your kids be here. Have a youth activity, make them be here. No, look, you'll force sports practice. No, you, you'll force school activities. Jobs, all those kinds of things. Make them be at church. You cannot possibly position them the way that you should without a committed presence to the life of a church. Last thing, prioritize God's process. We're just talking about positioning. Can you force them to be committed to the Lord? 
No, thank you. Can you force them to be committed to the Lord as adults? No. And, and I'll deal with this. I'll make this statement again in, in the afternoon service. You can do everything right, and they can still decide to do something wrong. Okay. Okay, so I'm not trying to make parents feel guilty here. What I am trying to talk about is ways that we can position them to give them the best chance to fulfill God's purpose. All right? So you prioritize the plan. You prioritize the place. Then you prioritize a, a specific process. Eli, he ministered in verse number 18 of chapter 2. He ministered before the Lord being a child girded with a linen ephod. Look at verse number, chapter 3, verse number 1. And the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli. So he was directly under the influence of Eli. All right, Eli was, was a flawed spiritual leader. Eli was a flawed spiritual leader. But Samuel was still surrendered. You know, this is a problem in American churches is that we want to hold spiritual authority to a standard that we do not hold ourselves to. Yeah. I am not justifying spiritual godlessness and depravity. Or that's the wrong one. I'm not, I'm not justifying depravity and godlessness in the lives of spiritual authority figures. I'm not justifying that. But this, this, sometimes we have an expectation for spiritual authority that we don't have for ourselves. Are you ready? Well, they're not perfect. Congratulations. When is the last time you actually honestly looked in a mirror? And no, I wonder about this. I wonder about this. What, what would, how would God grade me if I was constantly being critical of spiritual authority he's placed in my children's lives, if I was critiquing them the way that God critiques me, what, how would that measure out? And, and, I, and I know I'm not saying that right. If I was holding myself to the same standard that I'm holding them to. And, and here's what Hannah expected of, expected of Samuel. God has put these people in your lives to help you. That doesn't mean everything is going to be right all the time, but they are for your benefit. They're for your benefit. Now, can I just make sure we're all on the same page with this? You have much better spiritual leadership at this church than Samuel had at that temple. Not good enough. It's not because he's my friend. You have much better spiritual leadership at this church than Samuel did at that temple. Now, I'm going to say it again. There needs to be amens. You have much better spiritual leadership at this church than he had in that temple. And yet God still used Eli to help him. Isn't that wild? Be submitted. Be submitted. Okay, Brother Samuel, can you come up here? Jaden, come here. So Brother Samuel's the youth pastor. You stand right there. Jaden is my son. Not his son. He's my son. But I believe God has a purpose for his life, so I want to position him. I, if I'm going to position him, I have to make sure he's involved. Do you always want to go to church? No, sir. No, because you're like your mother, but we need to go to church. And so this is what we're going to do. I'm not make you go to church, and so we're going to go to church. But being at church, there is an authority structure that's been established from God. Have leadership. Not the final authority, but God's authority here. And so, man, you need to participate with the youth department. And then, man, Jaden, because he's like his father, he doesn't do everything right. And then Brother Samuel comes and he's like, hey, Brother Paul, I, I got to have a conversation with you, man. Your son was this and he did this and he did this. And then this is what can happen. You know what the problem is? The problem is with you. The problem is with your expectations because my children are not like that and they would never and they, they just, I, I just cannot believe the way that my children are treated here. You need to allow that your kids are not perfect. No. Is he perfect? Is he perfect? No, but some of you want to act like he is always right and he is always wrong. And when you are constantly trying to prevent your children from submitting to the authority that God has put in their lives, you know what? You are damaging them spiritually. And we have generations of, we have 
We have generations of young people that resent church because a mom and dad would never make them submit. And you all, you always, you always going to defend your child. Can, can authority get it wrong sometimes? Yeah. But uh, let me ask you this. Did, did God use Joseph in spite of imperfect authority? Did God use Daniel in spite of imperfect authority? Did God use David in spite of imperfect authority? Did God use Samuel in spite of imperfect authority? Over and over and over again, yes. So then why are you constantly getting in the way of the process of helping your children be surrendered? I'm not just going to prioritize the place. I'm going to prioritize the process in the lives of my children. In every authority that my children have at church, I, I talk to the authorities, the direct authorities in the lives of my children. Do not treat my children differently because they're the pastor's kids. I want them being held to the same standard as every other young person that comes through this group or department. And if they need to be corrected, you correct them. And you never need to apologize or explain to me or justify to me. Now, look, can sometimes they get it wrong? Yeah, sure. It happens because there's a lot of kids. And sometimes it's busy and, and authorities aren't perfect. But I'm not doing them any favors by constantly saying, hey, you, you just back off my child. The problem was with you. And by the way, here's one more thing. I'm wrapping this up, but here's one more thing. You know what? You know what the problem is? It's not my children. It's all these other kids that you have at this church. And so if you and your wife would just deal with all the other kids, they're influencing my innocent baby and making them the way that they are. Your child was a sinner before they ever were introduced to anybody in this youth department or kids program. What are you talking about? I'm talking about, you can sit down. You please stay here. Thank you, Brother Samuel. I dream about it. I can't, I can't, I don't have the words to say how I pray, how I weep, how I dream. I dream for what God can do with him. He, he's a 14-year-old goofy dork like his daddy was. <laughs> but he's, he's man, he, he's got so much potential. And I just want to position him. Jaden, do I, do I tell you, step up here by me, bud. Do I tell you what you have to do with your life? Like did, what career? No. I want God to work in his heart. Bring my daughters up here. But I think about this, I think about this with your children as well. I, I dream about what God can do for them. I'm just right now, I'm just a son. Listen, I can't control I have such a limited amount of time with you. I can't control all that's going to happen. But if you'll just be right here, if you'll be right here, that'll put you in the best position to realize his purpose there. Prioritize the plan. Prioritize the place. Prioritize the process. Position your children to be prepared for his purpose. Well, I don't have kids. You can be a help. My kids are already grown. There's some young parents who, if they're honest, would say, hey, I need some advice in this. Older, older parents, and I don't mean that as an insult, if God has used you to position your kids, be available for younger parents to talk to. Maybe develop some relationships with some younger couples. Hey, if you're a single adult in here and, and you realize that, man, I missed out on some things that I wish had been different in my home, encourage some young people to embrace godly raising in their homes. Everybody needs to be involved in this process. Yes. Position the next generation to realize God's purpose for their life. You can sit down. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. In just a moment, we're going to sing. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I, this had nothing to do with this was not a, a, a salvation message, but, but it was already mentioned in the, in the prayer this morning that if you're not saved, you can know that you're saved. And this is the amazing thing about the spirit of God, that he can convict you even through a message like this, that you need to trust Jesus as your savior. 
with every head bowed and every eye closed, nobody looking around, I wonder if there would be anyone who would raise their hand and say, I'm not sure that I'm saved, but if there is a God and there is a, there is a heaven, there is a hell, if there is a Savior, then I want to know that I have Jesus. I want to know that I'm saved, but I don't. Would you pray for me? Would you just slip up your hand and hold it for just a moment? I'm not going to call you out or embarrass you. I just want to acknowledge that and pray for you in a general way. Would you say, you slip up your hand and say, I'm not sure that I'm saved. Would you pray for me? Just don't look around. Just slip it up. Don't worry about what anyone else is doing. You say, would you pray for me? I'm not, I'm not sure. God bless you for your honesty. Now, now let me ask you this question. You say, I, like, maybe I have children or I have grandchildren or I have influence at this church, but there are some areas where I am not positioning my children the way that I need to. Or, or I'm not helping to position children the way that I need to. I'm not, I'm not prioritizing all the things with the right attitude that I need to. I wonder if there would be anyone that would raise their hand and say somewhere in that point, there were some things that God convicted me about and there are specific things that I know I need to address in my life and in my home or in my influence. There are specific things that God talked to me about that I know I need to address and I, and I, wanna, start, I wanna start this morning. I, I want to address those things. Would you please pray for me? I wonder if there would be anyone that would raise their hand and say, just, yep, I see him. Several hands all over the room. Can I tell you, God bless you, can I tell you where that starts? That starts with an altar right now. And your children, your children, more than just correcting them, your children need to see you responding to God's correction. And, and so maybe positioning your child begins with positioning yourself at this altar this morning. And saying, God, I just, I need to talk to you for a few minutes. The point of an invitation is not to get done. The point of an invitation is to respond to God. And if you believe that God talked to you about something specific, then respond to him about it this morning. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.